Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the self-proclaimed preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. If you see on the screen, that is my name. My name is Chris Tubbs. That's CM Tubbs. That is my Twitter handle. If that is your social media platform of choice, if it is not, ignore the at CM Tubbs, but still pay attention to me. We also want you to pay attention to the uh, two other individuals that I'm going to bring in. Uh, Mr. Polish Joe, uh, we like to call him uh, Nip. And uh, the other one is uh, Mick Karch. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I like. You talk about, uh, yeah, giddy up, oh, cowboy. How you doing? Happy Dude. anniversary, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, happy anniversary to your, uh, to your wife, the saint. I think 25 years, after 25 years with me, uh, she gets automatic sainthood. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I don't blame her. I mean, that, yeah, she literally, boy, she is doing the, uh, the Lord's work, I tell you what. Uh, anyway, so about today, uh, we are going to talk uh, a show that is all about you guys. This is a show that we, it was probably about a year ago, um, maybe a little over a year ago, Mick, that we did a show where it was the top 10 villains, top 10 bad guys, rule breakers, however you want to call them. Uh, word on the street says uh, they're called a heel. Now, that's, this is, that's, that's the internet language. That's what I see on the internet, and it's got to be true because it's online. So what we did is we asked for your top 10 bad guys, rule breakers, villains, heels. And uh, we got, and uh, this is going to be something that we, we are going to allow you guys to, uh, to have the platform this week. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Works for me. I, I, I think that the, uh, if it's a heel list, Certainly, Polish Joe would have to be on there. Um, After the Barry Darso doubleheader, um, hell, I'd be disappointed if I'm not in the top five of that list. I mean, Polish Joe, the, the production heel, I, you know, it has a ring to it. Well, we've had heel referees. We've had heel managers. We've had heel ring announcers. Why not have a heel production guy? It just, it, it makes sense, right? It would be a first in the business, that's for sure. It would be a landslide vote, too. It would be a first and probably the last if I was the first production heel. But, but hey, let's give it a shot. Yeah, let's give it a shot. And, and, and thanks to everybody that participated. We want to know what you're thinking. I mean, we can sit here and expound every week and tell you, you know, our opinion, even though we're right. Um, but we, we want to hear from you. And uh, I we had a pretty good pretty good list, pretty good mix, and I would have to say, folks, you nailed it. All right. So before we do that, let's get to uh, let's get some business taken care of. You see up right up there, uh, soda stick, soda stick That's your place to get AWA unleashed swag, merchandise, hoodies, t-shirts, uh, whatever you want. Uh, go to AWA Unleashed uh, at soda stick uh, and uh, what you'll do is uh, put in your uh, code AWA Unleash 15% off. Also, 7th Avenue Pizza. You guys, if uh, you love pizza and who doesn't love pizza, 
uh, 7thAvenuePizza.com. They get a brand new breakfast pizza. And uh, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Best frozen pizza on the market. Uh, if you can't find it, let me know. Hit us up in the uh, the YouTube comments, Facebook, uh, Twitter, MySpace, you know, the TikTok, the Insta, the Instanet, whatever your social media platform of choice is. Now, that being said, guys, uh, we have a list of 10 heels that uh, we're going to get to. But I want to ask you guys, with the influx of information on the Internet, I mean, we joke about it because there's so much going on in terms of access to the Internet. And so many kayfabe has been broken down. What would you guys define a heel or a bad guy as? Uh, Let me go ahead and uh, start with you, Joe. I think the definition certainly has changed and evolved over the years. But to directly get to your question, what would your definition of a heel be? In today's terms, somebody who just doesn't follow the rules. Uh, The the difference for me is that growing up, there was a clear cut line of what was a heel, what was a baby face. And it was typically that the fans would boo the heel and cheer the baby face. Over the years, that just sort of has changed. And it's tough at times to know who the heel is when you're watching a wrestling match. If the the, the fans could be cheering for Roman Reigns in this day and age, Um, that's just sort of the world that we're in right now. But in a general definition, a heel, somebody that breaks the rules in the ring. I would say, in agreeing with Joe, I think by by definition, by theory, yeah, a heel, at least back in the day, was somebody who who broke the rules and the fans didn't like him for it. You know, the promoters didn't like him for it, but he got the job done. Oh, there's the cat. There we go. Speaking of heels. Um, and in this day and age, I don't think there is a heel. Uh, because as Joe said, the fans are cheering the, the, the bad guys, the rule breakers. They almost encourage them to do so. The Usos get as big a baby face pop as, as anybody else or whatever. I, I think here's the way I would liken it to. Nowadays, a wrestler, even a heel, is a star regardless mm-hmm. of what he does. It's like if somebody's played a bad guy, you know, Hannibal Lecter in a movie, they're still going to cheer him and applaud him and ooh-ga-ga when he walks down the Hollywood Walk of Fame or, or does the red carpet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it is today. They're more personalities than they were back in the day. So by our definition for a heel, for purposes of this show, it was somebody who generated heat from the fans. They hated them. The wrestler took them on that suspension of disbelief ride for a couple hours and lived his character. They didn't cheer him. They booed him. They hated him. They wanted him to get beat, and they bought tickets to do so. That would be the definition, at least for this show. Is there a way that anybody could be a a genuine heel and get some of that legit heat right now? I would think maybe the one name that comes to mind is MJF, who is, 
you know, doing everything that he can to be the same person on screen and off screen. It is, can you generate that sort of intense reaction from fans in today's day and age when kayfabe has been broken down? There's only one way to do it, and, and MJF does it, and that's usually by attacking the fans directly, attacking the hometown directly. Um, I remember a promo that uh, was done in, in WWE a few years ago. It was Elias and Kevin Owens, and they were in Seattle. And they did a promo, and they basically put down the fact that Seattle had lost their basketball team. And the crowd booed for 10 minutes straight. Uh, MJF has mastered the art of coming out and saying, I'm not going to give you fans what you want, especially in this city. Uh, I think that's the only way it really goes over, you know, unless the fans feel that a promoter has shoved a wrestler down your throat mm -hmm. for too long, like they did with Roman Reigns. Uh, but and, I that's, mean, and, that's, and that's just the fans re retaliating against the booking, not necessarily the performer, the individual. Absolutely. It's, I, I think in terms of we don't like you because you're a heel and you break the rules, I don't think that's mm -hmm. existent anymore, at least not on the major level. I think on indie shows, you know, you might get a little bit of that, but I think for the most part, that's gone. You nailed it right on the head. I mean, it's th that line between babyface and heel is very blurred compared to what it was when mm -hmm. going back to the 70s and 80s that, uh, that, that I was watching or working, well, was working in the business in the 80s. To be exact, from 85 to 91, just, you know, want to mm -hmm. make sure that our listeners know that every once in a while we do have our facts straight. But uh, no, the, 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 <laughs> fake news, fake news. <laughs> the, the, the whole heel thing, uh, it, it's easy to do in one way, but to maintain and increase that level of heat, um, it, it, it's not easy. It, it, it yeah. really isn't. Although I will say this, just as a side note. Greg Gagne told me once that it was more difficult to be a good baby face than it was to be a bad heel. And hmm. I was curious, why do you say that? And he explained why you can piss off anybody by being just, you know, being a prick, but to try to get somebody to like you, that makes it a little bit more challenging. As we well know on this podcast. Yes, that's why I'm a heel. That's right. You're, you're, you're both heels. And uh, the uh, the kitty cat, uh, she's been on so many. I think she's only got a couple of lives left. So uh, let's well, go ahead. According to, you know, somebody. Anyway. Let's, let's get to it. All right. The uh, the top 10 uh, heels or bad guys in AWA history, as suggested by you, the listeners. And I'm going to bring up the uh, first one here, guys. And I'm going to bring his picture up. And uh, number 10 is the infamous masked man, Dr. X. Dr. X, Dick Byer, uh, who, of course, also wrestled as the destroyer, the intelligent, sensational destroyer before he came into the AWA area as Dr. X. Uh, I have said this before. That was an era where a masked man meant something in professional wrestling. They would always have that caveat. If you beat me two out of three falls or, 
you know, within an hour, I'll take the mask off or whatever. Uh, Dr. X, back in the day from 1967 to 1970, that's when he had his heel run uh, here in the AWA. Uh, and then he came back as a babyface, as most heels eventually do. But I want to tell you, having lived through that, uh, he was a phenom. The fans absolutely hated him. He feuded with anybody and everybody from the Crusher to Vern Gagne, everybody in between. And he always had that something put in his mask, you know, that, that piece of foreign object. It's an, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting that a lot of times the guy who has a 75-pound steel rod in his head to headbutt somebody doesn't feel the impact of such same headbutt. But uh, nonetheless, you know, oh, my judge. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the real heel around here is Chupik. But Dr. X, and, and eventually nobody ever actually beat him to take the mask off in the AWA, at least on a main show. He mm-hmm. took it off himself in order to get a match with Bobby Heenan and Blackjack Lanza in St. Paul. He took the mask off before the match. And, and unless you were an insider, uh, you didn't know who Dick Byer was. So when he took the mask off the fence is kind of oh okay well whoever that is uh but he had a terrific terrific run Mick correct me if I'm wrong so and I'm stating this because um when Dr. X came in I was about four or five years old okay right in the very beginning um but from what I remember did they not unveil him uh he was sitting in the audience first, and then he just sort of got into the ring. Um, expand on that a little bit more. So again, I was like four or five years old. Dr. X was sitting in the audience of the TV studio matches for several weeks with a mask on. And, you know, coincidentally, uh, amazingly, they didn't throw him out of the studio. They didn't question, why is this guy sitting here with a mask? The police didn't arrest him or, you know. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I, just, I, I, I find that whole concept funny. Somebody shows up with a mask sitting there, and it's just, it's shit by today's wrestling standards. I mean, that'd be the best-looking person in the crowd. Well, oh, boy, we're, we're hearkening back to the early days of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, Sorry. Uh, Guy, he sat in the crowd, and of course, they, they put the camera on him every week and, and said, who's that guy, instead of just escorting him from the studio. Eventually, he attacked Vern Gagne uh, and uh, got involved in a television match. And originally, instead of arresting him, they, of course, gave him a contract. They originally uh, called him the Masked Man. Boy, that's that's really something. And then eventually they uh, they transformed, they morphed that into Dr. X. But uh, that's the way it got started. And when he came back, he was a beloved babyface, uh, feuding with Bachwinkle and Stevens and Larry Henning and Lars Anderson. And uh, I got to tell you, the late Dick Byer was one of the greatest, nicest guys I ever met in the wrestling business. I mean, talk about a legend and uh, a true gentleman. Well, what... So fast forwarding beyond my early years, um, when I first met uh, Dick Byers, Dr. X, was at the Kenny J uh, fundraiser for histiocytosis. And after all those years, and after kayfabe was let loose, he still kept that mask on at the Kenny J signings. (laughs) If I'm not mistaken, there was one where he auctioned off his mask, signed it, 
but he still didn't show his face. He had another mask that he had yeah. on as well. I yeah. mean, that now that's old school. Plain yeah. so that was just old school. Yeah. He, he maintained that right up to the very end. Love that. At Cauliflower Alley Club, he was not seen without the mask. For the most part, he would sit there and eat with it. He'd play cribbage with it, you know. And Larry Hennig, and it has been stated on this show before, Larry Hennig went up and in, in, in the microphone one night and said, Dick Byer, take it off. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Dick, Dick protected his identity, but again, legendary. But, man, I'm telling you, the heat that he generated early on, this is a show about heels, and he was one. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right, let's go to the uh, the next one, who uh, happens to be a uh, friend of, of both of yours, and that is the uh, the Baron, the Claw, Baron von Rotten. You know, it's interesting. Look at that guy, boy! What a what a face, huh? Isn't that something? Um, Baron von Raschke for latecomers to wrestling, only remember the Baron as a babyface, as a pizza guy, as a uh, University of Minnesota student council write-in president. Um, uh, But Baron started out with the most bland personality you could ever imagine in professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, he was a Vern Gagne trainee, great amateur wrestler out of the University of Nebraska. Uh, I mean, a great amateur wrestler. Uh, but Jim Raschke from Nebraska just didn't cut it as a pro. And Mad Dog Bashan, God bless him, transformed the Baron into Baron Von Raschke, the heel. Originally, the dog's idea was to call him Baron Von Onion. That's, that's a fact. He wanted to call him Baron Von Onion uh, because of the, uh, the noggin there. Uh, but talk about heat. You know, Baron goose-stepping his way into the ring every week whether it was against Vern Gagne or Crusher or Larry Hennig, whatever it was, uh, he was he was a heel. And, uh, you know, that's all that people need to know was not a, a happy catchphrase back in the day. They hated Baron Von Raschke. Well, and, and I'd have to include in his tag team partner, again, going back to my youth, um, Horst Hoffman, yeah. uh, the, the, the two hated Germans, and, of course, I've said this before on the show. My moniker, Polish Joe. You've got two evil Germans. Um, I despised them as uh, as a young as a young child. I've I've told Baron that before, and he just sort of chuckled. And you know, obviously, we know that uh, well. He did his job very well. But yes, the amount of heat and that goose stepping. It was when they were a tag team, they, I hated them more than I hated the Heenan family. They were at the top of my heel team back in the day. Well, you know, at the risk of not being PC, foreigners always were, you know, for yeah. the most part. You know, you it, it, was an e- it was an easy thing to do. Bottom line, like you've said, Chris, the low-hanging fruit. You know, there, there it is. Uh, the, the Germans, the Russians, the Japanese, whatever it was, if they were an enemy of the Americans, they were the heels. And mm-hmm. Baron did his job. And I'm telling you, talk about a guy whose real personality is a polar opposite from the Baron von Raschke, the goose-stepping guy on, on television. Legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, Might have been rated higher than number nine. But, uh, you know, it was your vote, folks. So yeah. you, you, 
you nailed it. Well, he deserves to be in this top 10 list, that's for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, this is a show where we ask for your feedback on the top 10 villains, heels, bad guys, rule breakers, however you want. And these are suggested by you guys. These these are not ours. These are ones that you guys have uh, have suggested. Uh, number nine uh, here, guys, maybe uh, one of the one of the royal uh, families of uh, Minnesota professional wrestling. And uh, we just go by the X. Larry Hennig, uh, who, of course, started out as a babyface again with Vern Gagne training him, although they had legitimate heat uh, years down the road. Larry Hennig should be on every top ten on every AWA Hall of Fame there is. Uh, when he turned heel uh, back in the uh, mid-1960s and started feuding with Vern, and then he called himself Larry Pretty Boy Hennig. Uh, before the axe and then of course his legendary tag team with harley race one of the greatest tag teams that ever lived and i'm telling you they are absolutely on the mount rushmore of wrestling uh larry was such a uh heel everybody hated him and again back in the day where you're talking about the basic nuts and bolts about being a heel uh, Larry may have been from Robbinsdale, but boy, people love Vern Gagne. And as long as Larry was insulting Vern Gagne, uh, you know, they just wouldn't go for him. Big, legitimately tough guy, generated incredible heat. Uh, I remember they did an angle where if uh, Larry didn't beat, I believe it was Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel or combination of their thereof, uh, within 20 minutes, he was going to streak down the Nicollet Mall back in the day when streaking was, yeah, I know, Joe, imagine that. They'd be like, you know, putting me in a pair of trucks, uh, marshmallow and a thimble. But um, (laughs) Larry Larry was actually on on the Nicollet Mall, and he didn't completely streak. He had his wrestling tights on. But, again, you know, in the middle of lunch hour, you've got a 6-foot, 3-inch, 290-pound guy running by in a pair of spandex tights. Um, you know, made for uh, great optics, but uh, one of the great heels. And then when they turned him, one of the great baby faces. Larry Henning, legendary. I love the guy. God rest his soul. So Larry's time as a heel sort of falls in the same time period as Dr. X. Uh, actually, and Baron Von Rashi for me, although Baron uh, remembered more of. But, yeah, definitely hated and going on, we're talking about Baron and how if you were from a different country, uh, the stereotyping you generated the heel. No, that wasn't Larry. Larry was able to generate that heat as an American, as a, as a guy from yeah. Robbinsdale, Minnesota. He didn't have that, that little push, that, that luxury of just calling himself a Russian or a German or, or from Japan or whatever wherever you, or the Middle East, wherever you'd want to, uh, to, to put it. Larry provided je- legitimate heat back at the time. I mean, it was sort of easy when you put him with Harley Race. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that certainly did help, but he was so good at it. You're talking about that heel turn. And again, I was, I was young, but from what I remember looking at the footage, was it not he came out and saved Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel? He carried Greg Gagne out. And, I mean, 
what a thing. I remember watching that on TV. I just wasn't sure if that was the actual tournament. That's probably like 73, 74, somewhere in that time. Well, you, you need to be accurate, Joe. I mean, you know, you can't just start spewing out facts and dates here on this show. We don't yeah. go by generalities here. Bro. Absolutely. Uh, no, but you are correct. He I am General Polish Joe. The there he is. There it is. Uh, Larry, I, I believe it was uh, May 16th, 1973. There, forgot to put my mic. You can. Uh, I, I'm it. not sure that that's what when that was. I know that there was, you know, some kind of an incident with a with a, a rat or a, a gerbil or something back then. But I don't know if that was the exact date. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you're right, Joe. Uh, Larry Hennig came to the aid of uh, the high flyers involved with the Heenan family mm -hmm. and uh, carried Greg out and said, "This could have been my son out there." And thus, boom, you had the uh, babyface transformation. Of Larry Henning. Let, let me ask you guys this. Which one fit Larry Henning better, do you feel? The Axe or Pretty Boy? Wow. Um, I, I know this is just kind of a five because you, you mentioned both of them, and that's why I didn't put Axe or Pretty Boy. I put it Larry Henning because I wanted to kind of see where this organically went. So was there, was there one that you feel fit his persona? Which one do you feel went a little bit better? I think the heel. Um, because what I, Larry was a big, tough, no-nonsense guy. And when he would come out and cut a promo, he, he meant every bit of it. And you believed Larry Hennig. Personally, and maybe it's just a nostalgia thing, I like Larry Hennig, the uh, pretty boy, uh, better than I did the axe. But he was very accomplished at both. So, uh, legendary. Okay. So, um, based on the way you asked the question, Chris, which one suited him better? They, he, pretty boy, Larry Henning, fit when he was a heel. Yeah. The axe fit when he was a baby face. It was like a, just a perfect melding yeah. of, of the man, the wrestler, and the character, Larry the axe, Larry the pretty boy, Henning axe. However, oh, yeah. how you want to say it. it was it was perfect, and he played them both spectacularly. Mm -hmm. He did. All right, let's go to uh, somebody else here, guys, who is also known as being a very strong individual, but uh, also is known for a couple of other things. Uh, he has not kicked my ass as of yet, and I'm thankful for that. But that is uh, Ken Patera. Well, we won't mention the other things that he's noted for. He took no, some time. no, no. Yeah, he, no, he took I'm... some time off from wrestling. Took a little vacation for a couple of years, but you know that's neither here nor there. Um, Ken Patera is maybe one of the most underrated overall heels in the history of wrestling. And again, you know, he started out as a babyface Olympic strongman, first uh, first American, I believe, to press five hundred pounds uh, over his head. Uh, and again, he started as a babyface. If you're going to ask the question, which persona fit Ken Patera better, the babyface or the heel Ken Patera, absolutely the heel. Uh, and I think Ken thrived in it, whether he was a singles wrestler or when he got involved with the Sheik and the Sheik's army, mm -hmm. whether it was in the AWA or WWF or Georgia, wherever he went, Ken Patera, one of the greatest heels of all time. He could and generate heat anywhere. Anywhere, And you know what? He wasn't a fancy guy in, in terms of his finesse in the ring. But damn it, everything he did was believable. 
and, uh, you know, and Ken has an edge to him. And I think he's proud of the fact that he has an edge to him. And he carried and in, carried that into the ring. And, uh, you know, especially when they aligned him with the Sheik uh, and Jerry Blackwell here, uh, gold. I uh, can't say enough superlar- superlatives about Ken Patera, the heel. Few things come to mind when I hear the name Ken Patera. Um, What's amazing to me is when he was a power lifter, if you go and take a look at old footage or or photos of him, he was, it it was like he was a big blown up muscular balloon, but not so much on the muscle side, but he was strong as hell. He was a little bit power lifter. So no doubt about it that he was strong. But then after that, when he was wrestling, he got more muscular as far as definition and so forth. He he shrunk down in mass, but his muscles were still there. I'm guessing he didn't eat too many McDonald's during that time, but I'm not quite sure. But no, Ken Patera was made to be a heel. Yes. Plain, plain, plain and simple. That's not... It's it's not a, a a shot at his personality. The real Ken Patera, yeah, he does have an edge to him, and as he said, Mick, I think he thrives on that. But without question, Ken Patera, the heel, should have been Ken Patera, the heel, and deserves to be in our top ten. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And a reminder that if you have not, uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's probably the best way to help us. Uh, grow just hit the subscribe button uh rate review just continue to spread the word let's uh, continue to make this thing as big and uh as bad as it can uh we're gonna go to the other end of the spectrum here guys with uh our next one and it's not somebody who was known for his strength maybe more of a i don't want to say slimy because i feel like that doesn't do him justice but uh, a man who I don't know that I could ever see him being a baby face. And uh, that is the living legend, uh, last AWA champion, Larry Zabisco. And uh, I think that's right on the outside of Larry Land, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Larry Zabisco started out as a baby face, uh, trained by Bruno Sammartino. And then the storyline, of course, out east was that Larry turned on his mentor generated incredible heat oh that was i mean that that was one of the most memorable turns i feel in the the history of the business that's the one that people yeah remember is uh zabisco turning on bruno and it's interesting you're you're absolutely right and it's interesting because in terms of size and stature larry's not the biggest guy in the world um he he's i think annoying an annoying heel an insulting heel uh, smarmy. I mean, this guy was, would just, you know, he'd stall and he would insult the fans and the, you know, the, the spud heads and he'd go after the local, uh, baseball stars like Ken Patera. Uh, Larry was the shining light in the waning days of the AWA mm-hmm. in terms of overall heel in the wrestling business. One of the all time greats. Uh, he deserves to be on this AWA list. There's no question about it. Probably should have been ranked a little bit higher. But uh, Larry Zabisco, what a character. And he carried the AWA right to the very end there. Larry's matches <clears throat> were interesting. 
we would be in the production truck outside the showboat in Las Vegas. And when one of Larry's matches would come up, and it did not matter if it was a squash match or a main event for ESPN, we would start taking bets. We would start the timer, and we would do the over-under on what we thought uh, the, the time would be before Larry would finally do his first hookup. I asked Larry about that. I go, so, I mean, fans bitch at you and they want you to start wrestling and so forth. Um, are you just doing it to generate more heat with them? Or, you know, what is it? He goes, well, it's that, but also the less I got to actually work and uh, still get over from mm -hmm. being a heel. He goes, it works and it works well. So why would I change anything? It, Larry, you you were correct. I mean, yeah. his there there was one match if I I can't remember who it was against, but it was over three minutes before Larry did his first hookup. Now that's from the start of the ring announcement, so maybe it's a you know two yeah. and a half two minute time period. But yeah, he would just stall, just interact with the fans, but as a heel. Getting over as a heel, you mm -hmm. need to interact with the fans, not only in your promo, which Larry, in my opinion, one of the best promos in the business, but you need that needs to carry over into the match. You can be a heel. You can break the rules when you're in the ring, but you still need to call out the fans, tell them to shut up, tell them that your hometown sucks. Look at them and say, you're fat, you're ugly. You know, Larry did it. Mm -hmm. Larry did it all. And you are correct, Mick. He was the lone shining star for the <laughs> AWA at the very end. And, and what a great guy, yeah. Larry in real life, very nice guy. Um, Larry Zabisco, the wrestler, the AWA champion, capital P-R-I-C-K. I like how you put that, Joe, where, you know, some of these people, they do it with their actions in the ring, but Larry, you know, more of that psychological and, and people, I mean, a lot of fans are like, yeah, he stalls. Larry's known for stalling, but there was just a different side to Larry Zabisco that was maybe different than anybody else that we've got on the list. And I think that's what's just so fascinating. And when he said, you know, that's how, you know, why would I do it? Why would I change it if it's working? I mean, right then and there, that tells you that I feel like Larry Zabisco knew what his role was and he did it to perfection. Well, and, and he would, he would always, Larry was just successful at it because of his personality and it seemed natural. Uh, yeah. And, and the one thing that we didn't mention on here, I don't think we've done it yet. Yes, he was from Larry Land and, and, and rode that. But going back to the Bruno thing, he stole the moniker of Bruno San Martino and he became the living legend. And he would use it in promos. He was did it successfully. And... <clears throat> He was just so good at it. Just yeah. so right on down to the roll of dimes at Super Clash 2. He just 
fit the character extremely well and pulled it off. Joe, if he, if he stalled for three minutes and you, you know, that's a land speed record for Larry. I mean, <laughs> three minutes. Are you kidding me? Usually it would take him three minutes just to get from the locker room to the ring. But uh, I, he just a master, a master of psychology. And that's what it was all about. I, I always knew that when we had the format for an upcoming show, I and if I saw that Larry was going to be on an episode, my first thought always was, okay, I'm going to have to trim some time on an intro from another match. Because Larry, it was going to be 10 minutes. From the, <laughs> yeah. from the entrance, the ring announce, I mean, just everything. It was going to be 10 minutes of a Larry Zabisco match during an All-Star Wrestling or ESPN Championship Wrestling show. That was Larry. And I actually appreciated it. It was easier to edit time out of a show than it was to try to figure out how to add time to a show. Let's go to uh, the next one here. And he is the, uh, the man of many monikers and still very much uh, uh, top of mind when it comes to a lot of individuals. And, and that is Jesse, the uh, body, Jesse, the governor, uh, Jesse, pretty much anything Jesse Ventura. And uh, bring the, that uh, picture up here shortly, guys. Jesse Ventura. <clears throat> I wasn't surprised at all to see Jesse in the top 10 heels in the AWA. But he was one of those guys, too. You know, you're in an era where Jesse had his fans, too. Uh, he was flamboyant. The fans as a whole were turning kind of to uh, cheering the heels a little bit. But early on in Jesse's career here in the AWA, they hated his guts. And, uh, you know, teaming him with Adrian Adonis, uh, the tough guy from the docks of New York, uh, was brilliant. Jesse was not the greatest ring technician. Uh, I think he will uh, he will agree with that. Uh, he and Silo Sam, you know, might might have been on a par, maybe a step up for Jesse. Uh, a step up. I'm, I'm giving, you know, because Jesse, Jesse was a lot of facial expressions. Jesse was a lot of, you know, a lot of that, yeah, a lot of posing and whatnot. Uh, you know, if, if he put a guy in a top wrist lock once in a while, that was really something for Jesse. He let Adrian do the work in terms of in-ring activity. But when you mention the from the 80s on in pro wrestling in the state of Minnesota and then to become the governor, oh, my God, of all people, Jesse Ventura becomes the governor of the state of Minnesota. Legendary. I love Jesse. I've interacted with him a few times. Uh, what you see is what you get with, with Jesse. There's no pretense. Uh, everything is a conspiracy. Everything is over the top. And uh, God love him. Boy, him, him and Adrian with the high flyers drew big money for a long time in the AWA. Yeah. Um, Jesse, to me, he modeled himself a little bit after superstar Billy Graham. Oh, not a little. A lot. Well, I was giving Jesse more credit there. But, yeah, he, he was the newer incarnation of superstar Billy Graham. Do yourself a favor and look up some old superstar Billy Graham promos. Absolutely phenomenal. But it, when I see Jesse in the top ten list, and, and Mick, you had asked uh, both Chris and I to submit ours as well, I put – Jesse deserves to be in the top 10, but I can't put him in the top 10 without looking at your cat jumping out the window. 
But I can't. We're down to one life, guys. That cat's down to one life. <laughs> I can't put Jesse in my top ten without putting Adrian in there. I agree. Yeah. For, I agree. for some of the reasons that you brought up, Jesse was a great promo. He dated Lola Falana. He was the bodyguard to the Rolling Stones. Um, he did all of that. Phenomenal on the mic. But it was with Adrian that I truly believe that he needed to, that they both need to be in the top 10 list. When Adrian left to go to the WWF and it became the uh, the Far East-West connection, it just didn't have the same pizzazz. No offense to Masa Saito, who a legend in his, in his own time there. But the fact for me is that Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis deserve to be in this top 10 list. I would agree. Very good. And I think Chris is having some technical difficulties. So, Mick, I think maybe let me set up the next one. We're not going to have a picture right away. You go ahead. Um, th this one is going to be similar to me as uh, uh, Jesse and Adrian. Oh, welcome back, Chris. Yeah. And I'll, I'll finish up the setup. And this one, um, it, it shows as a tie. But, again, I'm going to combine them together. Mm -hmm. And that is the mountain from Stone Mountain, Georgia, Jerry Blackwell and Sheik Adnan, I love garlic Casey, L Casey. Um, without question, these two, I mean, and, and they're, they're at the number four ranking. Oh, yeah, they, they, they deserve to be. Uh, Adnan with his cast, Jerry Blackwell, um, just being that badass southern boy from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Wow. And the stuff that he could do in the ring for a 468 pound or 472 pound, depending if he took a shit before a match or not. Um, just a massive human being who, unlike Jesse, Jerry did have technical skills in the ring. And damn, that boy could eat. <laughs> He, he certainly did, and that was kind of his downfall, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, because, you know, Jerry, uh, I believe he was diabetic and, you know, didn't watch his diet the way he should have. Uh, it's interesting about Jerry. Another guy came into the AWA as a babyface. That was the intent. Uh, he came in as Farmer Blackwell. He was going to be in a, a kind of a Haystacks Calhoun uh, kind of a character. But for some reason, it didn't fly, and he went to Crusher Blackwell uh, right away, started feuding with the Crusher for the rights to the name. And, of course, then when he teamed up with Adnan LKC and, you know, put on the, the Arab garb and, and so on and so forth, talk about heat. Uh, we're going to do a show on Jerry down the road here, and uh, very interesting, legendary AWA character. And it was a tie. It was an absolute tie, yeah. vote for vote. In my estimation, I, I think an argument can be made for Adnan L. Casey to be one of the top two heels in the history of the AWA. Um, great technical wrestler, but man, from the time they started the feud with Tito Santana on television when he hit Tito over the head with the sword. Uh, Adnan and his uh, the caravans are waiting, you know, in, in uh, yeah. wreck. 
you name it, he was so anti-American, and he turned American wrestlers like Ken Patera and Jerry Blackwell over to the other side. Um, Sheik Adnan is a phenom, and uh, I am honored to call him a friend. He's the real deal, and uh, God bless him. Hall of Fame stuff. So, oh, go ahead, Joe. I, 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 well, I just have a question regarding the Sheik's army. We just mentioned Ken Patera. Ken Patera on his own or Ken Patera as part of the Sheik's army? Uh, yeah, uh, as part of the Sheik's army, because, again, you had an American, you had an Olympic star that mm -hmm. represented the United States, and he's turning his back on the country. You know, and, uh, and again, Sheik, master of the promo, you know, and, and nobody did it better than Adnan. And, uh, you know, when he left, we talked about this before, when he went to the WWF and he was uh, managing Sergeant Slaughter, another American turncoat, they got death threats. This was the real deal. Fans were believing, they were buying it. And uh, Adnan, Mount Rushmore, no question. You know, Chris, you brought up earlier the whole Sheik's Army thing. Uh -huh. And without, I, I guess it's sort of saying that the person I'm going to say is not going to be in our remaining three that we have in this top 10 list. But again, when I put in my submission, I put in the Sheik's Army because I need mm -hmm. to include Bruiser Brody, who to me, surprisingly, did not make the top 10 list. He would have he would be in my he would be my number four, but as a part of the Sheik's army. Just a, just a real quick aside, because I know we got to scoot here. As far as Brody is concerned, I think that's a longevity thing, uh, Joe. He was in and out of the AWA periodically. He didn't have the sustained presence, uh, but when he was here. You know, he certainly had the uh, had the impact, but I was surprised too. But yeah, I look at that list, and there were a lot of longtime AWA vets that made the list. Agreed. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's kind of a a good one there, Mick. It makes sense when you're talking about you know individuals that were around for a significant period of time. Yep. Uh, we are getting down to our uh, top three heels, uh, rule breakers, villains, as voted on by you guys the uh the fans and uh here's another one i'm just gonna put the face up there and oh. uh, we know it mad dog vishon maybe one of the best promos that maybe my favorite awa promo of all time the uh the casket building yes. a casket for yes. jerry jerry fatwell yeah uh, and again you know th that's at a point where mad dog had already turned babyface of all things you know you had this spitting Algerian, Algerian, uh, you know, by way of Canada, um, Mad Dog Vashon in the early days. And again, I'm one, you know, I'm the old timer here. I predate all this stuff. Uh, 1964, one month in early spring, he's a mid card guy in October of 1964, October 20th, legitimately there. We want to nail that right on the head. October 20th, 1964, the dog beats Vern Gagne for the AWA heavyweight title. Uh, he had it on and off for a couple of years, feuded with Vern consistently, feuded with the Crusher, uh, you know, with his tag team partner, his brother, the Butcher, legendary AWA tag team. Uh, Mad Dog style back in the day, the clawing, the spitting, you know, the eye gouging, the chair. 
he was a heel. He was a heel's heel uh, back in the day, and longtime AWA fans put him right where he belongs in the top three, no doubt about it. And, Joe, you know the guy outside the ring. Is there a nicer, more soft-spoken guy than Matt, the pussycat, Vashon? Soft, I, I don't know that I'd go soft-spoken as much as nice, I mean, a, a gentleman, all of that stuff, but he was still a character. Oh, he, yeah. he was Mad yeah. Dog both in and out of the ring. But here, here's one of the things with Mad Dog. Um, we're talking about him as a top 10 heel, and you had mentioned that uh, you know he had turned babyface later on. Mad Dog didn't change. His right. ring, his in-ring style, his promos. That's a that's a great point, Joe. Because yeah. sometimes guys, you know, things change. They change the way that they work. They change the way that they promo. Not Mad Dog. No, he still bit. He still clawed. It's just that the fans now started cheering for Mad Dog Bashan. That's the only thing that changed. The only thing that changed. You know, if you think about it, Joe, not only Mad Dog, Crusher, Baron Von Raschke. They certainly didn't alter their their style in the ring. Same straight ahead, no nonsense. Larry Hennig, all these guys maintained their style, but they grew on people. They became legendary, kind of part of the family, kind of the part of the the, the Sunday morning sit in front of the TV family. So yep. Mad Dog, God bless him, what a guy. All right, now we are uh, down to our top two heels as voted on by you guys, the fans. And I don't think there are any surprises as to the top two. And I'm going to put these up, and I feel like these are probably in the proper order, but they are so synonymous with one another. I'm going to let you take this one away because this was, uh, as they would say, a close personal friend of yours, Mick. Nick Bockwinkle, to me, not necessarily the greatest all-around performer in the history of wrestling because I think the number one guy uh, on this list actually is. Nick Bockwinkle, to me, the greatest champion, uh, certainly in the history of the AWA. Nick had been around for 16 years before in in the wrestling business, excuse me, before he came to the AWA. He had wrestled in Minneapolis in 1956, Great technical wrestler, kind of a milk toast baby face. He had some success when he went to Georgia. He became a heel, won the Georgia Heavyweight Championship. But when he came to the AWA and people got to see him on a national level, it really showed what a genius, what a pure genius this man was. I've extolled the virtues of Nick ad nauseum, and I will, you know, till the day I die. He doesn't need more accolades. The fans got this right. The voters got it right. Number number two on this list. You're both cretinous humanoids. There you go. <laughs> Had to just throw that line out there. I, yep. Nick Bockwinkle, do you, if you've not done it or you just want to refresh your memory, do yourself a favor. Go onto YouTube and look up some Nick Bockwinkle matches. Yeah. I've said... To anybody that would listen, and for for many many years, and anytime I've talked to a locker room or or to a young wrestler, you have one very important job to do. The most important job, in my opinion, to make me believe. 
And mm-hmm. Nick Bockwinkle did that in his matches, the way that he would take a bump. It looked like it was real. It wasn't a guy who just took a bump and then stood up, bent over, and was waiting for the next one. Mick would be groggy. He, you know, he he made you believe that professional wrestling was real. At least it did for me. He was the consummate professional. His promos, very seldom would he get extremely hot. Of course, it was after a match, and you know, he he did have those promos where it would get heated or he would get heated, but he let Heathen take care of that. He was that Bever- from Beverly Hills, California. He was this well-dressed, yes, well-spoken professional wrestler who not only deserved to be AWA champion, but definitely number two on the list and only number two on the list because he, number one, I mean, you just can't top number one. Let me, let me just very, very quickly, and I know we're going to li- – there he is. There's oh. the number one guy before we, we talk about Bobby the Brain. What hey, was that picture of you and Bobby taken, Mick? Oh, that was, <laughs> was right after I graduated high school. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, one, more, one more thing about Nick. People talk about Rick yeah. Flair as the greatest <clears throat> champion of all time. Flair was great. There's no question about it. He was flamboyant. His matches didn't vary that much in terms of what you saw in the ring from night to night, whether it was the flip over the turnbuckle or what have you, or the face plant after walking three steps. Nick was always different. He wrestled a different match for every opponent, and he made them look great, whether you were Andre, Vern Gagne, Rufus Jones, whatever. Uh, so uh, yet moving on to number one. No, I, I, th- I think that's I think that's a great point, Mick, because you're going to fight people differently depending on who it is that you're in a fight with. And when we're going back to believability in terms of, you know, when wrestling was real, so to speak, you needed somebody like you said, Joe, you want somebody to uh, to make you believe and if you've got the same thing laid out for everybody, it's hard to believe. And Nick absolutely made you believe. I think, I mean, I think those are both very, very good points. And uh, number one, I look at this picture and it makes me laugh because Bobby Heenan with the weasel, I mean, it just, he got it. Bobby Heenan. I don't know if there's anybody that got the pro wrestling business more than Bobby, the brain, Bobby, you know, the weasel, pretty boy, Heenan. I mean, you name it. He just, he understood everything about this business. You know, you mentioned the picture, Chris. And what I think is great about this, I, I think that's actually a ferret. I'm not sure it's a an actual weasel, but they did the best they could at the time. <laughs> um, for all his moaning and screaming and yelling, don't call me a weasel. Every time he said that, there were more money. There was more money deposited in his bank account, and Bobby absolutely loved it. He played that crowd to the hilt. I've said many times. I don't think anybody in the history of the business generated more legitimate. I hate this guy with a passion than Bobby Heenan. And this is, of course, before they turned him into a clown, you know, in the in the WWF. And I'm not saying he wasn't entertaining. Of course, he was. 
But his AWA days when he would come to the ring, my God, they took shots at this guy. They fired guns at him mm-hmm. in Chicago. They hit him over the yes. head with a claw hammer. This is legitimate heat, ladies and gentlemen. And Bobby loved every bit of it. And he he knew exactly when to make his moves, when not to make his moves, when to sit on the chair, when to jump up from the chair, when to interfere in a match, when to turn to the crowd and mouth words that he was never saying, as I've said on a previous podcast, nah, 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 nah. that's what Bobby <laughs> would say to the crowd. But the guy up in Section 212 thought he was being insulted directly. Pure genius, the greatest of all time. Not only the greatest heel, I've said this before on this podcast and every conversation I've had about professional wrestling, the single greatest overall performer in the history of the business, managing, doing color commentary, doing promos, co-hosting a show. He was not only good at it all, he was great at it all, generating the heat that he could. And Mick, I got to say, I'll agree with what you said about, you know, they turned him into more of a a cartoon, you know, more of a clown when he got to the WWF. Um, But it was more when he was done managing, in my opinion. And so, to me, he transformed from being a heel manager to being a heel entertainment entity. But you know what? He still did that great. And you know what? He wasn't even a heel entertainment entity. People loved him. I mean, people got a kick out of him. Everybody has said. I think they, they found him entertaining. And, entertaining. and I think that's I think that's what it was. It, it went from hating him because he, you know, because he was insulting to I enjoy this person brings me joy. This person brings me happiness because yeah. he makes me laugh. And I enjoy it when I watch him. He generated a response. He generated money. And that was what it was all about. And, you know, after he got out of the business, you'd see him at some of these personal appearances where he's starting to go downhill physically a little bit. Bobby mellowed in his old age and his illness, but he came around to saying he would thank the fans and he would just say, I want to thank all you humanoids. And he'd flip them off or whatever. But he genuinely was grateful uh, and and everybody loved them and swarmed around them at Cauliflower Alley. And as you, you guys have both said, the greatest entertainer, performer all around in the history of wrestling. As, as good as he was with Bachwinkle and Ray Stevens uh, being a manager, I'm going to put he and Gorilla Monsoon oh. as one of the most incredible, if not the most incredible, mm-hmm. announcing tandems that... I had the pleasure of watching Bobby's wit was second to none, just quick. You could not get into a verbal war of words with Bobby Heenan. You would be massively outgunned. Don't even try Bobby Heenan in his heyday here. Everybody else. Yes. Period. I think people appreciated Bobby Heenan as they got, as, as he got older, they, they respected him, and I think they understood just how good he was and how special of a talent Bobby Heenan was. Chris, you look at it; nobody's nobody's come close to touching him since no. then. And I, I mean, don't think I don't think anybody will. No, I don't think never. anybody. I, I think that era of being able to generate that kind of heat 
from that position, I feel it's gone. I, no, I don't I don't know how it's going to come back. I don't think it can come back. No, it, it absolutely can't come back. We've talked about that before. There's not managers anymore. There's advocates and there's corner men and there's, you know, factions and everything else, but there's yeah. no managers. Bobby Heenan, they broke the mold, and that's period. One final thing, what I love about it is that go outside of this podcast and you take a look at other all-time rankings, Bobby Heenan is at the top of those lists, and he deserves to be for decades to come. He yep. was not only a generational talent, he, in the history of professional yeah. wrestling, he deserves to be at the top of the list. Period. Done. Let's move on. And nobody's ever going to knock him from that spot. He's going to be in that spot, <clears throat> to me, I feel like uh, eternity. Before we, we wrap it up here, guys, I want to ask you one thing. Uh, you mentioned it, Joe, you know, when talking about Baron and, and Mad Dog and whatnot. Why do you guys feel like some of the biggest heels, some of the, the meanest, most vicious heels, were also some of the nicest guys outside the ring? Why, why do you feel like the nicest, most genuine individuals outside the ring made the, the, the biggest villains? Wow. I, I think it's a couple of things. First of all, I think they loved what they did, uh, you know, and, and they were very entertaining by nature. I think Joe's point that Greg Gagne made, you know, about it's tough to get people like you. Um, I found over the years that some of the biggest assholes in the business were the baby faces. Uh, you know, they believe their own publicity. And I, I won't name names, but there were a couple that really thought their crap didn't stink. On the other hand, the heels, uh, they, they were such genuinely entertaining guys, I think, as a whole, that it kind of transformed into their real personality and outside the ring. And I asked the Baron one time, I, I said, Baron, how does a nice, soft-spoken guy like you transform when that curtain opens and you come out and you generate that much heat and the Baron just laughed and said, because I got paid, you know, um, mm. but I, I think there's more to it than that. That's a simplification of it, but you're right, Chris, some of the nicest guys in the world outside the ring were the heels. I'm not going to pretend to uh, provide something psychologically as to how they were able to do it, but I will say that they were able to do it because they were just that talented yep. and it takes uh, as, as difficult as it is to try to be a baby face. The guys on this list um, that were soft spoken and nice in real life, they were just that good. They knew how to push mm -hmm. the buttons. Um, some like we had talked about um uh, the the the, the uh, uh, Mad Dog Vashans and the Crushers of the world, they didn't change. Just the fans' perception of them did. Um, but they were heels because they were just that flipping good. Yeah. And, 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 and again, as, as difficult, being more difficult to be a baby face, you still have to have that talent. Sure. You have to have that ability to be a heel and to get over as a heel. 
And everybody on this list did just that times 10. Yeah, the folks nailed it. You got it right, people. Absolutely. Yep. And, Mick, I don't see Mick Karch's name on the list. He might be number 11. I've made several lists, but not uh, not this one. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go and bring it home here, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, give our shout-outs here. And, uh, Mick, we will start with you. Steve Reichel. Steve Reichel, my good buddy uh, in the uh, northwest suburbs here. Steve wrestled for a time in the uh, Eddie Sharkey's PWA promotion as the Mighty Metro. Uh, big dude, uh, security guy. I mean, he is as tough as nails, but a great wrestling fan. Old school through and through. Steve, shout out, buddy. My shout out is going to go to all of the 2,400 plus followers of our AWA Unleashed podcast. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, from the middle of the professional wrestling ring. Thank you all for tuning in every week to listen to one old guy, one middle-aged guy, and Chris Tubbs. Yeah, I threw the shout out. Yeah, yeah, you are older than me. I can say that. But I'm not a spring chicken anymore either. But seriously, for all of you, thank you for, for listening every week, for following us. We're just three guys who love the old AWA. We might get some facts, some dates, some time periods a little bit wrong. That's okay. We're here to just reminisce about what was, at one time, the greatest professional wrestling league in my opinion, in the world. That is the Major League of Professional Wrestling, the American Wrestling Association. So thank you, each and every one of you. And we've got 2,400 followers on that Facebook page. If you want to become 2401, 2402, hell, if you want to be 25, 26, 2700, go to Facebook, AWA Unleashed Fans. And it's, it's amazing that we had, uh, uh, you know, individuals that, you know, like, hey, can we create a fan book, you know, fan page for you. Sure. You know, thinking maybe a handful of people, 2,400 followers later, I I'm just I'm blown away. And uh, I want to thank uh, Dr. Gerard Rushbar at drub scrub on Twitter. Um, just, uh, you know, tweets, uh, replies, always interacts with us. So uh, thank you guys uh, for that. Want to thank seventh Avenue pizza. You want some pizza here, guys, seventh uh, Avenue pizza.com. Uh, go ahead and get it to, you know, around the cities, wherever. Uh, let me know outstate Minnesota. I know that they're, uh, you know, if you're in the upper Midwest, let me know where you find it. If you can't, uh, hit me up in the uh, the comments and I'll see what I can do. Also, Soda Stick, uh, it is the official merchandising partner of AWA Unleashed. Uh, go to sodastickco.com. Use the uh, promo code uh, AWA unleashed or uh, unleashed, and uh, that'll get you 15% off. Okay, guys, we did baby faces this or uh, baby faces next week, uh, heels this week. Is that uh, that sound good? That's correct. We we covered the heels. We're going to ask fans to vote for their top 10 all time AWA baby faces. And how do they do that? They can they can do that. They go to the AWA unleashed podcast website. We got a Gmail address for you there where you can send in your your top 10. We'll tabulate them or Polish Joe will tabulate them. He might, you know, skew the, the results a little bit here and there. 
But uh, but that's how you get it done. And uh, let's do the baby faces next week. We got some good stuff coming up. Good guests. Uh, we're going to cover the Jerry Blackwell baby face turn down the road. We got some good stuff coming up. Are you going to be on that top 10 list, Mick, of baby faces? <laughs> Are you kidding? I just wanted to make sure. I mean, you know, you've got a face that only a mother could love. <laughs>